0: Well, as we transition to the Scriptures, this morning as we open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to see an example of such a big storm that may come into one's life. It's the it's the storm of adultery. Now, I know this isn't such a pleasant topic to talk about here, um, and, and yet it is a catastrophe that sadly some of us may face. The temptations are certainly there, and um, we just... Proverbs 5 helps to thwart that. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there's a Bible on the chairs in front of you, page 530, is where we'll see Solomon warning his son against sexual temptation. And there is some explicit language here, but I'll, I'll deal with that as, as best as, as I know how in just an a tactful way. Um, but here's Proverbs 5. We've been working our way through Proverbs. This is week number maybe 10 or so that we're in Proverbs. And here we come, Proverbs chapter 5. I want to read for you the whole chapter. Because that's what we're going to get through today. Solomon writes, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. That you may keep discretion. And your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan and when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or inclined my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The title of my message this morning is, Ponder Your Paths. That's really what Solomon is calling us to do here this morning is to ponder our paths, to, to think well of, of where we go. The, this phraseology is mentioned several times in these verses. Look at verse 6, speaking about this forbidden woman. She does not ponder the path of life. Talking about the evil seductive woman. She, she goes on her life without pondering it, without pondering her paths, without thinking only of the present, only, thinking only of her passions in the moment. And not thinking about the future, and she doesn't realize the destruction that awaits her. Thus, we need to ponder our paths. The second time is in verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of a Lord, and he ponders all his paths. It's talking about the Lord, the all-seeing, the all-knowing one. The Lord ponders his Lord ponders our paths, and so should we. Thus the title ponder your paths. But we saw this phrase last week, look back in chapter 4, verse 26, when we opened up those verses last week, it says, verse 26, ponder the paths of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. It's the admonition to watch where you're going, watch where your feet are going, watch watch the places you go and the, the things that you do, and really that's all of what chapter 5 is about, it's, it's really an illustration of of what pondering our paths is like. It's a, an illustration, particularly as it relates to our sexuality and our faithfulness to our spouse. You know, people often think the Bible, oh, that's just an old archaic book written thousands of years ago. It has no applicability to us today. <laughs> I think Proverbs 5 is very applicable to us today. In light of all the divorce, in light of all the adultery, in light of the rise of the internet, all the temptations that come, and many of them being sexual. Now, I want to at this point even be, be careful and so as to discourage perhaps those who have fallen into adultery here even in, in our room. Or, or maybe those who will fall into adultery someday, right? They, they mess up. Just know that there is hope in the gospel of Christ In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is speaking about those in Corinth. And and he said clearly, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We might think of those people as bad and wicked and, and evil people. And in some regards, they are. They will not enter the kingdom of God. But these are the sorts of people that fill the Rockford Rescue Mission. Who have found hope in Jesus. And this is the hope that that, that Jesus gives. And such were some of you. You were adulterers. You were immoral, unrighteous, drunkards, swindlers. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And that's what you were, but you can know that there is forgiveness and there is hope even beyond this sin of adultery. It's terrible and it's destructive. Right? Adultery is the ripping of marriage. Like We like to say that the seventh commandment is adultery. It's like you're walking away from your marriage. And when two become one flesh, when the divorce happens, when adultery happens, and there is a splitting away, it's like tearing the flesh from your bones. Like ripping the skin off of your flesh. It's so painful it is. But there is hope. There is forgiveness in Jesus. And before we dig deep into it, I just thought it's important for me to put that out there, lest any of you are so overwhelmed and discouraged. Well, I just say this we need to think long and hard. To avoid the temptations that come, particularly sexually in our culture today, we need to think long and hard about the consequences of falling into such temptations and thus ponder our paths. This past week, I ran across a, a couple of articles written by Ray and Janny Ortland. They've been married for 48 years, married in 1971, and have faithfully lived together. In, uh, in a God-honoring way, uh, Ray Ortland Sr. was uh, a radio broadcaster, the radio show Haven, I think, is that right? And uh, just long time known across the nation, Ray had followed in his steps and uh, even, um, I, I, I spent a year at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and got to spend some time with Ray, um, kind of an independent study class on the Psalms, um, but it was just me and him, I only met with him once or twice, he's a wonderful, gentle man, and... Um, They've been in ministry much of their lives. They've been married 48 years. They're probably in ministry that whole time, decades. He's pastoring a church now in, in, um, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, he wrote an article, and so his wife also wrote an article. And both these articles had the same title. The title was this A Letter to a Would Be Adulterer. And uh, in these letters, Ray and Jannie wrote to, to plead to the one who was, who was about to become an adulterer, like right, to persuade them away from the terrible mistake that they are contemplating. And and that's almost exactly what Proverbs 5 is. It's a, it's a letter to the would-be adulterer. In fact, I, I could have entitled my message this morning, A Letter to a Would-Be Adulterer. That's what Proverbs 5 is, but... And Solomon persuading his son away from making a a terrible mistake. But I I kept, ponder your paths. So I I love, listen how how Jannie um, opens her letter. She says this. She says, although we haven't met, I know at least one thing about you. I know you didn't enter your marriage thinking, how can I ruin this? How can I bring pain to this man and our families and our friends? You began your marriage hoping it would become a lifelong love story filled with deep joy and satisfaction. And yet here you are today thinking about things you never thought possible. And that's the reality of the uh, attraction of sexual temptation. It, it can come upon us quickly right, if we don't ponder our paths. And it can be so seductive and can, can twist us and warp us to do things that we wouldn't in our sanity naturally do. And my message this morning is that you would think about these things long before you'd ever cross that path. As Charmel said, that the, the relapse into drunkenness doesn't start with the first drink. There's lots of steps along the way. So like adultery, don't fall into adultery as if you fall in this, this great long ways. You walk slowly into it. That's why it's important to think about it and to Rear it off at your head. And jo- Jannie Ortland says this. Adultery often begins in your imagination. You cultivate an emotional affair and then fantasize about the sexual possibilities. And all this goes uninterrupted by godly repentance. And soon you begin lusting after the attention of another man. And you find yourself flirting with him, developing an emotional support structure with him. We always have a high tolerance for our own hidden sins. But none of us can caress a secret world of lust and fantasy without defiling our souls. Ultimately, adultery, like all sin, is a heart issue. And this is where it all begins. In the heart, you start thinking about it, start walking down that way. Well, Solomon, in chapter 5, begins with the source of the temptation, the woman. She's identified in verse 3 as the forbidden woman. The New International Version says, adulterous woman. The New Living Translation calls her the immoral woman. Literally, she's the strange woman. That's how the King James translates it. Uh, if you have an English Standard Version, you can see that in the note. The, the strange woman. She's strange in the sense that you ought not to have her. Um, it's not proper. It's immoral and wicked, and she leads to death. Which is really my, my first point this morning, is that her feet go down to death. That's what we see in verse 5. Let's work our way there. Look at verse 1. He begins his admonition with his usual admonition to his son. He said, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge. Now, there's nothing particularly different we see here in this admonition as opposed to any others other than just to say Solomon saying, Listen, listen, my son. Listen up. Pay attention to my words. He's pleading for his son's attention that that they they would listen for his own good. Look at chapter 4, verse 20. Just one, almost the same exact. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And young people here today, I would encourage you to listen to Solomon. And yet what's interesting, Proverbs 5 isn't so much written to the child as it is to the future child, to the would-be adulterer. It's written really to all of us as well. And so may we heed our ears to these thoughts and it includes all of us. And though the temptation here in chapter 5 is about a, a sinful woman seducing a man, it's equally applicable the other way. In other words, it, it can be said about the woman is what's said about the man, right? Although the text talks about her feet going down to death, it could easily be his feet go down to death. Solomon's counsel to his son to avoid this woman could easily be a counsel of daughter to avoid that man as well. But for the sake of Proverbs 5, we'll incline ourselves mostly to the imagery that that Solomon uses. Verse 3, we see Solomon's, as we see this woman's speech described, she's speaking and her speech is attractive. Solomon says that her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. In other words, right, she's telling you things you want to hear. She might be telling you how handsome you are. She might be telling you how strong you are, or how smart you are, or how talented you are. Listen, whatever strokes your ego, she's ready and willing to stroke. And um, likewise women, men will do the same thing. Whatever ego, whatever emotional support you need, he is ready and willing to support. But all that's sweet in the mouth isn't sweet to the stomach in verse 4, we see that her speech is really a sugar-coated poison pill. Look at verse 4. In the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. And that's my point. Her, point, her, her feet go down to death. That's not the first time that Solomon said this. Look back at chapter 2. The context here is the blessing that come upon the one who's, who's filled with wisdom, who's seeking wisdom like silver or gold. If you get this wisdom, verse 16, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed, and none who go to her come back, nor do they retain, regain the path of life. We've seen this woman before, and we will see this woman again in chapter 6 and again in chapter 7. And each time the message is the same. Men, there are women out there who will use their lips to flatter you, to try to get you. But wisdom will see their destruction, and wisdom will refuse their call. Now, what's sad about this woman is that she doesn't even know what she's doing what's oh, bad, bad about the seducing man, right? He doesn't even know what he's doing. Verse 6, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know that. This means that in full conscience of heart, she can seek to seduce men in their traps. And they don't even know what they're doing is wrong. They will think it's totally fine to go from man to man to man to man and you're just the next in line. Well, to this, Solomon gives a counsel to his son. The, the counsel is found in verses 7 through 14. He says, don't go near her door. You know, it's really that simple. If you're on a, a dangerous edge overlooking a cliff, right? Suppose this is Yosemite someplace, and this is a, a thousand foot drop right here over the crevice here. What should you do? Should you go like this and go, woo? far out can i go (laughs) if that's the crevice you want to stay away from it don't even go near the door if you're at the zoo and there's a fence up in front of the lion's gate you you don't want to climb the fence and go in and dance with the lion's It will mean your doom. And that's what Solomon says. Look at verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. In other words, stay far away. Maybe you've heard of the Billy Graham rule. It's the rule among Christian leaders in which they avoid spending time with women alone with whom they're not married to display integrity. To avoid sexual temptation and to avoid any appearance, even, or being considered morally objectionable, or ever being accused of sexual harassment or assault. See, the gospel is so worthy, as, as um, Billy Graham thought, that. That I want to live a life of integrity, right? Christ has redeemed me from my sins. 2 Corinthians five 17. I'm a new creation in Christ. He's transformed me and, and I want to seek to walk in His ways, in, in a way of purity. As Paul said, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to many. And, and that's the gospel that, that Paul gave to the Corinthians. They need to stand in that gospel and that's what Billy Graham was trying to do with this rule that wasn't initially called the Billy Graham Rule, but it was initially called the Modesto Manifesto because it was made in Modesto when he and his ministry compatriots were were thinking about their own lives and thinking about the ministry and thinking about spreading the gospel through these tent meetings. They they resolved, quote, to avoid any situation that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion. Regarding women, but also regarded finances and interactions with churches and publicity. And and, and Billy Graham made a point of, of not traveling with or not meeting or eating alone with a woman other than his wife, Ruth. And his biographer, Grant Wacker, observed that, quote, Over the years, Graham received intense media scrutiny for this stance. But hardly anyone accused him of violating any of those four principles. Mike Pence today follows the same rule. And he has been slandered and maligned and talked about old fashioned. But nobody can, can uh, accuse Vice President uh, Pence of violating any of these principles because it's what, what he does. He's staying away from the door. That's what Solomon's calling his son to do, just stay away, don't come close. And the reason is simple, right? It's because if you go that way, and if you cross over that line, it's going to consume your strength on the one hand and fill you with regret on the other. Look at verse 9. So don't go near the house of the door. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a, of a foreigner. In the end of your years, you groan, and your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I have hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers, or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembly. Right? You, you get flavor here of uh, Proverbs chapter 1, right? When wisdom's crying out and ignoring wisdom, and then here, it went full-fledged fell into adultery, and then just, oh, oh, I just regret what I did. It was Bad and sorrowful and paining and longing for a difference in life. Oh, if I could take back those those months of my life, if I could take back that action, if I could take back that night, if I could take it back, I wish I would. It's what adultery will, will lead to. And again, I love what Jannie Ortland wrote in her letter to the would-be adulterer. Quote: Adultery brings misery at so many levels. It brings the adulterer shame. It introduces betrayal into your legacy. It shows your children that your personal pleasure is more important than their security. It brings sorrow to your Christian community. And this is what Solomon is trying to show his son. He's trying to show him the misery of sexual sin, that, 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 it, that it zaps your energy. Right? It, it takes all of your resources. I heard the story this, this week of a man who was committing adultery. He was living in a, a traveling job. And so, kind of when he was off and away, he was, he was able, he got some affair, right? He started some relationship with this woman. And it, it brought in the, so much energy to try to cover it up because there was lying and deceit and, and manipulating money. And just all, the, all like it, it, What it does it just takes your life and zaps it, puts all your resources over into something else? And it affects the body verse 11 at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed consuming of your body will eat it up it brings regret verse 12 how i hated discipline in my heart despised reproof just a, a regret brings shame and ruin i'm at the brink of utter ruin verse 14 in the assembled congregation again listen to janie ortland adultery is a mature sin a deliberate sin you may, quote, fall in love, but you walk yourself into bed with that man. In all our years of ministry, I've never had one woman come to me and say, I'm so happy over this affair. It's even better than I imagined. And so, as an older woman, I have one word for you don't. Don't go there. Don't go there with your mind, don't go there with your heart. Don't go there with your body. That's what Solomon is saying. Don't go there. You'll be filled with regret. Her her words ring so true that that no one, having forsaken their marriage for someone else, finds that someone else so much better. There may be someone who thinks they do. It's not. Sexual sin never fulfills its promise of pleasure. It may be sweet for the moment, but it will be bitter in the end. And wisdom is the ability to look at the end of the matter and live today in light of that end. That's the case of the Billy Graham rule. It was established to protect Christian leaders. And it's no accident that after 60 years of ministry in America, there was no hint in Billy Graham of sexual impropriety. On the contrary, scores of Christian leaders today have fallen to adultery. And every year, there's a new crop, a new crop of leaders. All you need to do is keep your ears open, and you hear the next scandal. It just, it just happens because they, don't, they, they go near the door. They don't stay away. And when you hear the scandal, realize that Christian leaders didn't fall. They, they, they began failing by not pondering their paths, putting no safeguards into their life, no boundaries, no fleeing of temptation. As Paul told Timothy, free, flee from youthful lusts. Paul said in First Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, that you flee sexual immorality. No fleeing, no understanding of the future, a compromise here, a compromise there, and then disgrace. And that's what Solomon is urging his son to avoid. He wants him to avoid the pain and misery and hardship that comes with sexual sin. This is so much Proverbs, isn't it? Is that you follow the ways of God, you follow in the the path of, of God, and there'll be blessing at the end. There'll be life at the end. There'll be joy and happiness. And if you don't follow the ways of God, there will be death and ruin. And then in verse 15, Solomon transitions to the better way, and the better way is by pursuing your spouse, or if I have said it, drink your own water. That's how Solomon puts it. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. In other words, right? Find your delight and satisfaction in your own wife, right? Don't, don't go someplace else for love and pleasure. Seek it at home. Right? You don't need to go to your neighbors for a glass of water. You have your own faucet at home. And you don't need to give your water to all your neighbors. Look at verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Verse 17 is speaking about the exclusivity of the, the marriage bond. As Jesus said, quoting Moses, a man shall leave his father and mother. They shall become one flesh. And then Jesus comments in Matthew 19, verse 6. They're no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. And when two people are married, they promise to be faithful to each other. And they're to find their joy in each other. As it says in verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is where Ray Ortland picks up his letter to a would-be adulterer. Listen to what Ray Ortland says. He writes this, the Bible says rejoice in the wife of your youth. One powerful safeguard against adultery is pretty obvious. Happy in your wife that lasts a lifetime. Proverbs 5 verse 18 does not say rejoice in your young wife. No wife can remain young for long. Proverbs 5 wisely points out that she's the wife of your youth. However long you both live as husband and wife, she will always be that girl. And look at her. She's a girl that married you back when you both were young. The passing years have no power to change that tender reality. She is still that girl who gave herself to you on your wedding day. She is still that girl who put herself into your arms. She gave herself to you. She could not have been more vulnerable. She could not have been more honoring to you. Remember that. Dwell on that and marvel at that. Think back even further to how the two of you started out. Remember what happened when you began dating and fell in love and got engaged. The wonderful, crazy romance you experienced together was one of life's great privileges. It wasn't just your hormones at work. It was the very flame of the Lord, Song of Solomon 8.6. A sacred fire he himself ignited for your joy and for his glory. What you two had going back then, you can have it back. And even better because you're more mature now, more focused and more settled but the way you two used to walk and laugh and talk and dream together because you just liked each other. Go back there again. Your youthful romance was no foolish illusion. It was real. And it hinted the ultimate reality, the eternal love story of Christ and his bride. Your, your love story is worth fighting for. And that's what Solomon is saying. Your love story is worth fighting for. It should be that marriage is even pleasurable now. Verse 19 says that we should be intoxicated always in her love. Husbands, you're commanded to be intoxicated in love for your wife. You know, some drunks are angry drunks and some drunks are happy drunks. Of course, this is talking about a, a happy drunk, not drunk with wine, but happy drunk with their wives. And for all the pleasures the alcohol might bring, marital love brings greater happiness and joy. Solomon begins his love song in the Song of Solomon with these words of the bride the bride says this let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth here it is for your love is better than wine so whatever nice pleasantries wine gives marital love is far better such are the pleasures of love and marriage but Solomon's quick to point out also that a man shouldn't be drunk with the love of any other woman but just with our wives He says in verse 20, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? In light of all that's been said, really, this is a rhetorical question. (laughs) Why should you be intoxicated with with a forbidden one? Because think about it. Her feet go down to death. She brings nothing but shame and regret and ruin to your life. It, it makes no sense. Why would you be intoxicated with someone else? It makes no sense. That's why we need to ponder our paths and really think that through. So when the temptation comes, we'll say, as attractive as that is, it doesn't make any sense at all. Finally, let's look at my, my last point this morning. Right? Don't die for lack of discipline. This is... Uh, an admonition to all of us don't die for lack of discipline. Verse 21 For a man's ways are before the eyes of a Lord, he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. And here in verse 21, we see another time in which the Proverbs are picked up from mere human wisdom to realize that there's this divine element going on here in Proverbs. See, we we live our lives before the eyes of the Lord, that he looks upon our evil and our good, and he ponders our paths. He's looking down upon us and testing our ways, all of our ways. And as we see in Proverbs, we follow his ways, his blessing will be upon us. And if we rebel against him, his his curse will be upon us. And this includes a relationship with other women. In light of sexual temptation in our computer age, this includes our computer usage. He watches our every click. It's not just the NSA that can see your every click. It's the Lord himself that can see every click. And Sadly, there are many who are ensnared by their sin, who are led by... Away by it. And as verse 23 says. He dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly. He's led astray. I began my message this morning. Just thinking about Bonnie. And 58 years of marriage. Do You want that? 58 years of marriage. Or do you want some fleeting pleasure. To break, reap in all of the, the destruction. And hardship. That all of this gives um Reortland continues in his article to a would-be adulterer he said when when Janie and I married in 1971 we were just two people but now we have grandchildren with more on the way at present trends our family alone could grow to 52,000 people in 10 generations so that's a city about the size of flagstaff arizona But Janie and I often pray that to the 10th generation, God will clearly and publicly set our family apart to himself. We pray that our children and grandchildren and on and on will be solidly converted and love Jesus and believe the Bible and take a stand for Christ with integrity and courage in their generation. And they're going to need that courage, we are sure. Our part right now is to live with that very integrity and courage so that we may become an inspiring example for then for the future. Just really have you to think even about long term future, not only about your own pleasure today, but also about the, the long term effect it will have on your kids and your family and the blessing of God that comes. Ortland continues, you and your wife can leave your own legacy. Not in money, but in vast spiritual resources. Your life together can tell a powerful story of the faithfulness of God in good times and bad. There's 58 years of small storms and big storms. Who wouldn't be strengthened by looking back and seeing in their own family history that God is real, God is able, God is good. So do not deny future generations the riches they so urgently need that far outweigh our or unforeseeable future. Whatever else you and your wife might or might not accomplish, build this treasury that even the 10th generation can draw upon. And however cute that woman might be that you're tempted toward, ask yourself if your legacy is worth destroying for a moment of stolen pleasure. Your sin will quickly turn into a bitter aftertaste that you'll be spitting out of your mouth for the rest of your life, But God is positioning you and your wife to bless the generations yet to come. So embrace the vision. Don't throw your legacy away. And don't, as verse 23, die for lack of discipline. It's not worth it. And that's how Solomon argues. And I pray that that will help us in years to come. Perhaps for some of you children. Perhaps for some of you adults. Maybe this week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. May God give us solid marriages where we delight in the wife of our youth, right, the husband of our youth, right, goes both ways, that we would would, would honor Christ, God, that we would picture, right, that, that we would picture what the church is all about, a husband lovingly leading and, and a wife reverently respecting her, her husband. May God give us such marriages. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would ponder our paths and that we would think the long term. God, beyond merely just this day or this week or this month or this year, I pray we'd have a vision for our children and our children's children. Um, I pray that we would be able to leave a legacy. God, that we would see the the ways in which uh, adultery would destroy that. Or inappropriate relationships would destroy that. God, help us in that moment of temptation. God, to see clearly and to see Proverbs 5 come to our minds. God, so protect us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.